Hi, my name's Lawrence Joss, and welcome to the Family Disappeared podcast. Are you stuck in the family court system? Are you thoroughly confused and feel ill-prepared? Do you feel like your nervous system is going 120 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone? Well, that's how I felt. I went into the system, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what questions to ask. I just fully trusted my attorney. And, and I wish that I hadn't. I wish that I would have been able to thoroughly educate myself. And today's guest, Larry DeMarco, who is the founder of the Law Center and created the Family Court Custody Bootcamp, which is an incredible piece of information that he's put all in one place and made it accessible to so many different people. It will take you through what's going to happen in court, how to prepare yourself, what their attorneys are doing. It will open up this box of information that's just so incredibly useful for yourself, for self-agency, for your empowerment, and also to resource yourself in the court system because it can be so emotionally destabilizing. Please remember to share, like, give us reviews on the podcast or anywhere that we're showing up. The more people in our community that know about the services that we're providing is the more people that we can help. And just as a reminder, this is a community podcast. Our emails in the show notes, send us requests for questions, people to interview, or even stuff about this podcast you're going to listen to. Maybe there was a topic we started talking about that we really didn't get into. Let us know what you want to hear more about, and we will help facilitate that. So let's jump right into the show. There was a time in my life when I was overwhelmed and underwater. Those days are the inspiration for this podcast. This is by far the ultimate healing journey for all of us. Healing ourselves emotionally, spiritually, and physically is paramount to this journey. From this place of grounding, we can all go out into the world and change all our interactions and relationships. We can engage people from an integrated and resourced place. This is a journey of coming home to ourselves. In today's episode, we'll start to explore some of these issues. Let's begin the healing journey today. Welcome to the Family Disappeared Podcast. I was ill-prepared for the court system. I was ill-prepared for the ramifications of parental alienation, estrangement, erasure, disconnection, whatever word you want to use. I was ill-prepared for the, the toll that would take on my nervous system. I went into a lot of places fragmented. And what fragmented means is I wasn't emotionally connected to myself. I was all over the place. I was reactive. I was reacting instead of responding. And today, there's so many different tools out there you can use to resource yourself and build resilience. And today's guest is going to be talking about how to prepare yourself for court, how to educate yourself, how to know how the system is functioning. And God, I wish that this was available when I was going through the court system, where one person had brought everything in an accessible and affordable place for me to learn about what's going on in the court system. And the number one thing as an individual going in to a court system or any kind of situation that is inflammatory is to be prepared. And this is a key component to being prepared is to educate yourself. And all Larry's information is going to be in the show notes. His YouTube channel, which is a law center, which just has a plethora of incredible, incredible information and some other tools that he has to offer. And at the end of the show, you're going to have access to a discount code so you can jump right in, purchase the bootcamp at a special price that he's allotting just for the folks that are listening to this podcast for a limited time. So let's jump right on into the show. Good morning, everyone. And good afternoon, uh, whatever time zone you're at. Today, we have a very exciting uh, guest. We have Larry DeMarco. He is the founder of the Law Center, and he created the framework for the Family Court Custody Bootcamp. And I'm going to let Larry introduce himself to you. So Larry, please go ahead. Lawrence, thank you for having me today. I am the founder of the Law Center. 
in my other life. I practice personal injury, workers' compensation, and family law in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. About four or five years ago, I founded the Law Center, which is a YouTube channel containing free resources for self-represented litigants in family court. I spend most of my time with that because I went through family court myself as a client and realized that this is a need that society has. I enjoy making online YouTube content. It's easy. It's fun. I'm good at it. And I have access to the law. And I recognize that the family or the legal system and family court's broken the uh, lawyers and professionals, actually also mental health professionals, somewhat price themselves out of the system. And YouTube, I am a big fan of the platform, gives this opportunity to have easily organized and indexed online content. So that's where I found a niche because I have the knowledge and I have the skill and I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy producing it and I feel it fills the need. That's me in a nutshell. Well, Larry, it's so great to have you here, and thank you for the hard work that you're doing and addressing the the inadequacies of the, the legal system and the commodification of our suffering and our pain and the things that we struggle with. You know, it's an incredibly challenging uh, topic for so many of us, and it's uh, literally bankrupted folks. It's put folks in some really undesirable conditions and situations that, that are not manageable as you're struggling with parental alienation, estrangement, erasure, whatever door you're coming in or whatever word resonates with you. What, what a great service. And, and Larry, just to kind of like humanize the experience, are, are you willing to share a couple minutes about what your relationship is to parental alienation and what that door looked like for you on a, on a personal level? Of course. I went through it myself. And often when I ask people to tell a story, I say, stop, give me the end first. So I have a happy ending with my story. It's important. I just want to get that out. I just came back from visiting my son at the University of Pittsburgh. He's 20, he just turned 21, and we have a, a strong relationship, and I can't talk about this, this topic without a, an emotional trigger. I hope that doesn't make you or any of your viewers uncomfortable, but when he was one, I split with his mother, and uh, we went through the uh, uh, what I would call an extremely high-conflict custody process. And when I realized that I was facing, I, we didn't, I didn't have, we didn't have the terms. I didn't know what it was. The, the law and the theory was not wi as widely as developed as it is now. But, you know, I, I remember explaining to my family, my mother and aunt, what was happening. So she sent me Richard Warshak's book called Divorce Poison. And those resources in that book and quite frankly, coming from a strong, good parenting, I had a foundation to fight what, what I faced really for the next, you know, in, in fairness to my, to his mother, it, it really was worse early and it got better. I can't say it was forever. It was not. She heard things got better for her. And so um, she backed off, but my son quickly figured that, or, or figured out that I was his rock and that I wasn't going anywhere, and that he, he had challenges with his mother, that I then, you know, I once saw a, a social media post. I spent half my life trying to uh, fight, you, you know, um, 
convince my child not to hate me and the other half convincing my child not to hate my ex. <laughs> and I, res I related to that. And that's what, uh, that's a, a typical cycle of parental alienation. Once the child realizes what was happening, the child is very angry at the alienator. And um, through patience and understanding, I was able to help him save the relationship with his mother. So that's really a nutshell of, of, of you know, maybe when he was around eight to 12, it really, it really uh, turned in a better way. And then um, uh, she had my, my ex actually liked my new wife, which is rare and, and very fortunate and lucky where she then um, would come to us, my wife and I to help her and my son, because he wanted to still live with her two counties over because all his friends were there. And so then we often had to referee their disputes. So that's that in a nutshell. Thank you for that, Larry. And I must say, when you get a little bit teary-eyed and vulnerable and choked up a little bit, I think that's a really important thing to see. You know, for me, like I got a little bit of goosebumps and I felt like emotion in my chest and some definitely some energy in my eyes, definitely some moisture. And uh, and I appreciate that because this is an incredibly challenging journey for everyone. And some folks are able to intercede at a younger age and get connection back. And then there's folks all over the spectrum that are still struggling. And all views are welcome. And we're so excited to hear that your your relationship is in a really healthy and good place so we're going to jump into some questions here about the family court system sure it's an involuntary response by the way I, I i i have an involuntary response when i talk about my son and the past and if i ever see the picture of the little syrian boy refugee that's the other involuntary response <laughs> no control. That's beautiful, man, that you're able to be in contact with those connections. You know, a lot of us just shut down emotionally and we can't reach the tears anymore. You know, for me personally, like the first year or so, I just cried. You know, I mean, like year two, like the tears started drying up and now it's hard to touch it. Like a commercial will touch it, but actually touch it into the real depth of emotions, I, I find really challenging for myself personally, you know? Well, it's a painful topic, as we all recognize. So as an attorney navigating the, the legal system, the family court system initially, what did you find to be the most alarming and concerning aspects as a professional jumping in and looking for other professionals to support them in this arena? The, the worst that I saw, most alarming, this is an easy question, it's a good question, it's an easy one for me to answer, that the fact that you're at a conflict with your own lawyer, the way the, the business part of it in the, the business of law, particularly the family law business, to me, might be the sole biggest responsibility for hard times that parents have. To have to pay, an, a, well, the legal system perpetuates conflict because the financial incentive and the hourly rate system is so destructive to the client and beneficial to the attorney that as a professional, as an educated professional who came into two separate offices, one I found on my own for my own internet research, and the other was a, a friend recommendation. It was a friend of a friend. So this was someone who had someone else to answer to. And they both treated me the same, listened to nothing that I said did not care what I requested or recommended. And one gave me no value. And the other, my friend 
or friend of friend almost gave me less than beneficial value. Neither, neither of them wanted to do a reasonable request of give me a contempt hearing when I knew I was dealing with a narcissist and a sociopath. They said, oh, no, you're going to agree to this. I said, no, I'm not going to agree to this. I know I need a contempt hearing because she has no interest in letting me see my child. But yet, both lawyers wanted handsome fees to do absolutely nothing. And I thought, if this is what they are trying to sell me as competent representation, someone who's educated and was researched and was focused in talking to them, my goodness, what are they doing to their clients, their other clients, their lay people clients, especially the ones who have money and then they can bilk or would know what nonsense the bill was. So I self-represented and found a different way. And that's why my journey is what I try to share to others because um, it's doable. A law degree gave me the confidence to do it, but I was not a family law attorney. I knew where to look and all the information uh, lay people now can find online. So how I try to empower others is to help you find what was very easy for me to find, but it actually is also easy for you to find in modern times because everything, all this information is online for free and it's just learning how to navigate it and find it quickly is what the, the, the current challenge is for the self-represented litigant. So it was alarming to know how poor the legal system and the legal profession serve their family. Yes, and the amount of conversations that I have and, and you have with folks that are bankrupt, have no money, aren't getting legal representation, aren't having their attorneys actually following their course of direction is uh, is destabilizing. And you mentioned something in, in, in that answer that I just want to touch on a little bit deeper. You mentioned on this, uh, this idea of having conflict with your attorney and the conflict with the attorney being part of the inertia that drives parental alienation and estrangement and erasure and that it's built into the system. Like I know for me personally with my attorney, like I was anxious to see him. I was anxious to get anything in the mail from him. I was anxious to have any kind of conversation and he was relatively present and available, but definitely motivated by the money and, and, and the billing. So this idea of this conflict that's automatically built into the relationship with the attorney, can you, can you talk about that a little bit more from your perspective? Sure. So think of you, Lawrence, you're a serial entrepreneur, and I also didn't get a chance. I want to thank you and acknowledge you for all the good work that you do in donating all your time and resources into the organization that you have. Businesses or, or business people who then go into law and practice family law, if they are motivated primarily by business, so the conflict is there is a fast way and a long way to resolve family law issues. Because to me, you know, the, the standard is supposed to be best interest of the child. Well, it is. All 50 states, the standard for winning a custody battle is what's in the best interest of the child. Well, really what that means, what's the best interest of the child is for the parents not to fight and get out of court as fast as they can. So any social worker can tell you that. What's in the best interest of the child is no litigation between the parents, no matter how much conflict there is, bury it immediately, save as much money for that child's college or secondary, you know, uh, postgraduate education and resources to raise the child and live in harmony and peace and move on with your lives. However, 
the business model of law offices get as much business as you can. And the more people fight, the more that they're going to make. And the business of a law firm, well, there, there is a law firm that's a business, but there's also you as an individual suffering from the, the breakup of the most important relationship of your life with your child's parent. You're going through something traumatic that could either be done quickly, which could be as cheap as 15. If you go to a mediator, a community service center mediation, that's a nonprofit, you can resolve the whole thing in a thousand, two hundred, $2,000, or some high conflict cases that I've heard in, in my research for producing my product, asking people what they spent. It ranged from tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And a few people told me it reached a million dollars. I know people whose, whose custody case reached a million dollars and there's no ethical way to come up with that type of expense. There's no, well, include divorce with that, of course, but there, there's, there's no way to justify that expense unless you have a good business person. Now I use good meaning effective in garnering funds and, and cash from your client. But and if you have an ignorant client and you're billing that client that, that high, clients have no one to warn them or teach them about business principles in a family educate in a family law lawsuit unless they get it from their own lawyer because you trust your own lawyer so when i say that there's a conflict the lawyer is hurting him or herself as a business person if they're educating their client what's actually in their best interests when the whole the whole legal system seems to agree that there's a way, there's a system that will draw a minimum amount of money from you. And then the more that you fight and the more that you antagonize, you can, the, the, the fees can spiral exponentially out of control. You know, briefly, to me, the solution is to information and education. Learn what you're facing as fast as you can. Then not only will you make decisions that are the best interest of your child, but also the best interest of your pocketbook. Thank you for that. And, and I also want to acknowledge anyone out there that's listening to the podcast that this information is really important and it can be dysregulating to your nervous system. And if you are in the middle of the court system, you know, I, I just invite you to take a breath. You know, if you're listening to the podcast, take a break here, take a break there, resource yourself because a huge part of this idea of uh, going to court and interacting with the attorney and stuff is really building resources and resilience for yourself, your own mental health capacity. It's a, it's a really important part. And I share all the time about the support groups out there in PAA, which is Parental Alienation Anonymous, which is a free support group and part of the system as we engage with the attorneys, as we engage with the family court system, we need to be resourced. We need to build resiliency. Otherwise, we unfortunately become part of the problem and we generate some of this energy that perpetuates some of the harm. So let's uh, let's jump into the next question. So Larry, like just to give people a little bit wider scope, what's the difference between traditional law and family law? And, and is there a difference on how the courts are governed and the information that they process and use? The difference between uh, family law versus what you say traditional civil law. Family law is equity court. And equity, you're in equity court when you're asking for something other than money damages in civil court, where the judge has the power to rule as justice requires is the standard that we're given in, in law school or is the legal standard in equity court. And the reason why you're in equity court is because 
you need the judge to order behavior. It's going to govern conduct. It's not going to be at a damage award like we have in personal injury you or, or civil suit or breach of contract law. You have a dispute that money can fix. But in family court, except for support, uh, which actually you also have equitable remedies. But in family court, you're talking about parenting. So the judge is g making a law between two parties that govern behavior. So you can't be in civil court. And the only way to get justice, at least on paper, theoretically, is to give the judge broad discretion. So it can be very, very good when you have a judge who is informed, transparent, and accountable. Or it can be horrible without transparency, accountability, or following rules. So it, it's it's set up with the best of intentions to enable the judge to dispense justice and have that flexibility to do what's right for this child and this family, uh, which civil court that awards only money damages certainly can't because when you're dealing with the heart and you're dealing with the family, you need that leverage. So when you say traditional family court, I want what everyone to think is the term equity. You're an equity court. And most jurisdictions, I know Texas is an exception. I don't know if there's any other exceptions, but most jurisdictions, family court is equity court. And um, when you hear equity court, that means behavior, injunctions, stopping conduct, contempt and incarceration, things like that, rather than uh, I award so-and-so from, you know, on behalf of plaintiff against defendant, this much money, and that's civil court, personal injury, contract, and other court. That's what you're looking for. That's the difference. Okay. Yeah, I'm hearing the, the differences with with equity and, and with the civil court, but there's also this overlying theme that you hear so many times when parents are sharing their story where a judge is kind of like a TV producer, depending on the day, the time, the mood, the, the kind of coffee they drank that day, whether they had coffee or not, their rulings are really arbitrary sometimes. And they also seem to, once they establish any kind of thoughts or feelings about certain clients, that's carried from appearance to appearance to appearance. And sometimes it seems like the judges don't have any kind of um, equity for both parties. It's really leaning one way based on one conversation. And that's just the way the the court goes. Like, is that pretty accurate or is that? Sure. To me, a very important chapter, or I should say module in my program is how to guard against judicial bias. You certainly can't, you have no benefit or you have no ability to control a judge's mood, whim, or ethnic or gender bias. You're pretty, but you, one thing you can guard against is financial bias. When a judge, trouble in court happens without any transparency or accountability in any organization, anywhere, or any type of individual. You know, we learn from early in political science or history that power corrupts an absolute Power corrupts absolutely. So, but that's the system that we set up in this quote unquote equity court. And that's the problem without a, a more guidelines or restrictions on a judge than we have right now. For instance, things like cameras in a courtroom or abolish absolute immunity for uh, malicious and corrupt orders and measuring judicial patterns of decision-making or, you know, choosing judges on a merit system. So there's some things that we can do. And I have a video, uh, I have a module on court and ethics reform 
for Family Court, which I encourage your listeners to check out to hear more discussion on on that topic. And, and the other, of course, is financial bias. Disclose or have more strict guidelines on financial, uh, both financial and biases between and um, counsel and the judge, because the disclosure requirements are, well, they hide those rather than do everything that you can to disclose and publicize them. So you might have someone who donated to the judge's campaign or worked on the judge's campaign or gave, sat on a bar association executive committee giving an endorsement for the judge. And, and the, it's the lawyers who practice in court are the ones that seek those positions so they can have that type of influence. So you can see in a courtroom, you can sit in the back of the courtroom and see the judge give an opposite, an opposite decision when everything else seems, seems to be the same because one of the most important criteria for a human being with that much power entering a decision is to give a benefit to those who gave the judge that power in the first place. So to understand that type of influence and where it comes from is something that with research you can you can learn and somewhat control but without significant court reform or reform you can't control the other so i I do think we have a system that gives judges too much power in that equity court without any type of transparency and accountability uh and transparency in putting the reasons for their decisions and, and subject that to some type of review. And, and we're going to get more into your course in a little bit, but just to follow up on this question, when you talk about protecting yourself against bias, is there one or two or three just quick suggestions you can just throw out there while we're on this topic for parents that might be in the court system and a way to be a little bit more um, present or knowledgeable or aware of any kind of biases that might be coming up? Yes. There's, there's websites called uh, Open Secrets or your state's Secretary of State campaign finance reports, the first thing that everyone should do is pull as much filings, official court filings, or stream of cash going from donors and political parties to the judge. You can find out at least what cash went and from what law firms, and then just cross-reference so that if there is a generous donation, Or if you know a judge served on a particular committee during a campaign, you can find out whatever puppet strings may or may not be there or the absence of such. If you can't find anything, look, don't kill yourself. There's nothing you can do about it. But be a research nerd. (laughs) Look, Look up everything there is in terms of how that judge got into power, what type of state you're in, whether it's a election state with political parties, whether it's a, an appointment system, which uh, the analysis is somewhat similar because it's political parties that still put the judge, that still appointed the judge, and research the lawyer that you're against so that you know what committees or what power that law firm had. And often you can't get recusal, mind you, but you can at least fight fire with fire so that you're not at a disadvantage if you have the money to be able to do that and resources to be able to. But if not, you move for recusal. And if, if, if it's denied, at least you can factor that into settlement negotiation. You can, you can know that you're fighting against a stacked deck and you still have information and you're, you're armed with power to be able to make the best decision if, if, if you see 
and you get a feel that you're not being treated fairly, you can guess that something might come out a different way and you can adjust accordingly if possible. Wow. That is a lot of really fantastic information and what a what an incredible conversation to be part of. I am so grateful that Larry's taken his time to come out here and have a conversation with us and, and jump into our community. And this is part one of part two. Next week is just going to be just as powerful, delving into more parts of the, the, the family law system, what you can do to take care of yourself and also answering some really complex questions of, of how to navigate the space. What are the takeaways? Should we have an attorney? in certain places when do we not need attorney how do you unbundle some of the services with attorneys how do we mitigate some of the system that's perpetuating and turning us just into functionality of money right because at the end of the day there's so many players within the system that are making money and making a living off some of this pain and conflict and they they don't they do not, as as we spoke about in the podcast, want us to find an efficient and effective and useful way to move through this really, really quickly. And please remember to share the podcast, to share any of our kind of resources. Please leave a review. Contact us. Let us know different interview subjects, different people you would like interviewed, anything that we're missing. If you're interested in being on the show and if you think you have something really real to contribute that you want other people to know about, please share your information. We're going to be making a time in each podcast for folks out in our community to share a recovery story, to share an obstacle they've overcome, to share any kind of resources that might be really useful to the community. So please jump in. This is a community podcast. There's so many people people and so many faces that make this possible. I might be the face that's presenting over here, but it is a team of us that is pushing this ball up the hill and we want you on the team. So jump on in and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for taking the time to join me on this episode of Family Disappeared Podcast. Do you know someone who can benefit from what we're discussing on today's episode? If so, Please share this podcast with them and anyone else in your community that might be interested in changing their lives. Together, we'll continue the exploring, growing, and healing journey. I will see you on our next episode. Until then, happy days to all.